Dub Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. I am a happy camper today, guys, I tell you. I have just finished up with Mike Matthews on this podcast. And for those who don't know, Mike Matthews runs an eight-figure business, is a hugely popular business leader in the fitness space, being a best-selling author of books, having a fantastic supplement line, and doing various other things in the fitness space. I am curious, as always, about successful people especially those that have been able to create something from nothing in the last few years, leveraging modern technology and leveraging the entrepreneurial resources available today. So we dig into Mike's business and he is gracious enough to be an open book, telling us anything and everything that I ask around how he founded his business, um, where the revenue comes from, where he generates his marketing leads from, what have been the mistakes he's made, the lessons learned, and a bunch of tips along the way for those who want to enter into this space in a meaningful way in 2019. I think you're going to really enjoy this, guys. And if there are any questions for Mike or myself, feel free to get them through to the Adaptation Facebook page. Enjoy. Adaptation. So this is a really exciting day for me. I've got an opportunity to talk business with the one and only Mike Matthews. Now, Mike is a health and fitness entrepreneur with a beautiful family and has a formidable in, uh, industry success. He's a best-selling author. He's a podcast host. He's got his own supplement line. Um, and in 2012, he published a hugely popular weight training book called Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, which I have, as well as all the later editions. And since then, he sold over a million books, including a cookbook and a motivational book. He has two, two and a half million views of his website, muscleforlife.com, as well as legionathletics.com. He's a top global uh, tra uh, training podcaster, runs a fast-growing no BS supplement company, and has transformed the bodies of tens of thousands of everyday people through his work and coaching services. And most importantly, most interestingly, Mike is your atypical fit pro influencer. And it's a true pleasure to have you on this call today. Thank you, Mike. Wow, I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully I got those, those headline stats roughly right and you can feel free to correct if they're not. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a great summary. Excellent. Good stuff. Now, Mike, I know we are going to try and keep our discussion tight and on point, which is unlike me, but I'll do my very best. Um, the intention behind this, uh, Mike, was with with your success, um, it looks like as if you're an overnight success for people that have just found you, but we know that isn't the case. I am so curious to understand how your business came to be where it is today. And I thought maybe the way we can go about that is curiously exploring your business success and looking for clues behind that success. And for our listeners, giving them an opportunity to really get some insight into how you would build a modern, credible online fitness business. So if you're up for it, let's maybe hit some quick fire hard facts like, you know, just the whole hard cold numbers about your business, 
maybe give us a sense of the timeline and how that business kind of came to be. I'd love to ask one or two kind of experience type questions around, you know, the struggle. And then if we have time, maybe you can tell us uh, and our listeners who are keen to be entrepreneurs in this space, how they could go about doing so. I'm ready. Hit me. Cool. All right. Now, hopefully I don't ask you anything which um, <laughs> you don't want to ask. And if you don't, feel free to pass. <laughs> sure, sure. So let's get started with with the now. So fast forward to today. How long or how many how many employees do you have, first of all, Mike? There's about 20 of us total. Whereabouts are you based? Virginia. In, in Virginia. Okay. And not everybody's in the office though, but half of them in the office and half are throughout, um, the U S mostly. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. And how long has, have the businesses been operating for? I, I mentioned 2012. Is that really when everything started or have things kind of, yeah, I mean, I published, I, I published bigger, leaner, stronger in 2012, but I had a different business, different life. That was kind of a nights and weekends, uh, side hustle as they say. Um, and I didn't really start working on fitness full time until 2013, and that's when uh, Muscle for Life, the the website, uh, came. Uh, that was March, I believe, was uh, month one, March 2013. And then Legion, the supplement company, was ooh, I think it was 2014. Was it 2014 or 2015 was year one? I'd have to actually look. So this is year four or five for, uh, for the supplement business. And, um, and along the way I, I, uh, put a lot too much time and money into an app, which <laughs> I'm actually interested in now to see, cause I, you know, there's a, we're going through a whole overhaul. The app is called Stacked. Um, get stackedapp.com. And we're doing a whole UI UX overhaul, which isn't all that expensive in the scheme of things. And I'm just going to make it 100% free. Um, so that that really actually could – I do believe that that could turn into something. It's going to be mostly dependent on how the, the 2.0 is received and then – if I have someone who's really going to be able to take it and run with it and build it like a little business. But, um, yeah, the key businesses are the publishing business, muscle for life, which, um, prime it's primary source of revenue is coaching. We have a popular coaching service, um, and under monetized for sure. And then there's Legion, the supplement business. And then there are a couple other, you know, like the app and a couple other little side gigs. Okay. And if you don't mind, would you be able to give us a sense of your revenue at say like a ballpark figure level and i'd be most curious as to the split between books supplements coaching and the app yeah i mean altogether it's eight figures in annual sales um and most of it if you're if we're talking revenue most of it is the supplement business okay. ironically ironically for me uh personally I have made more money from books than supplements because I'm, I've sold over a million books and um, because they're all self-published. I mean, that business, that supplement business, it, its historical net has been in the range of 60 to 80 um, uh, percent. Wait, sorry, I say something. No, the, the publication, if I, if I yeah. said supplement business, I meant to say public, yeah, the publishing business, I wish. Supplement <laughs> business, yeah, right. That's been an ongoing problem, actually. <laughs> the supplement business, its net is uh, has always been an issue, mostly because 
we spend a lot on our products, which looking back was actually a bad business decision, even though it's a core of the brand and I stand by it uh, as a person. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've learned that the supplement game, unfortunately, you can't make good Let's say you can't make great supplements and have great margins in the sports nutrition space. Period. But anyways, the publishing business um, has you know it's a, it's a seven figure business in in terms of annual revenue, and but it's it, it, the the net is absurd. When I was buying a house, the bank was requesting a lot of information on that business. I think they actually thought I was like a drug dealer or like a, a drug money launderer or something. <laughs> They're like, no business has revenue like this in 76% net or whatever. What does this even mean? Um, so anyways, books have been, um, yeah, most profitable for me personally, which is, is, is neat, but you know, what's kind of funny is, um, so you could meet somebody, right. And, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a writer. And a lot of people would think, Oh, unemployed. Right. Um, well there are, I don't know them personally, but I just know of them and whatever they, in, in the, so I've done, I've done well in the hell, in the fitness space. Um, but fiction is where all the money is. Like look at the top 100 mm. books on Amazon, 70% of them are fiction, right? Plus. Um, and if I, so there are quite a few authors out there who are doing what I'm doing in fitness. They're just doing it in fiction. They just write their stories and they publish their stuff and they maybe are a bit, have some sophistication on the marketing side of things, often not at all. And they're doing anywhere from 300,000 to a million dollars a month in royalties. Wow. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny that, you know, again, and if you, in, uh, I know particularly of a few of these people, very unassuming, just if you were to meet them, you'd have no idea that, that no, they're not just making money. They're making like, fuck you money, just writing science fiction books and putting them online. Anyways, um, that's, uh, and then, and then, uh, MFL, the revenue is a, it's a small piece of things. I mean, as, as far as a coaching service goes, it's actually quite good. I mean, it's, it's seven figures. Uh, but, uh, when compared to everything else, it's not as exciting if we're looking at it just financially. However, MFL has a lot more potential, uh, than it, it that is just untapped. And that's one of the things we're going to be focusing on next year is doing a better job monetizing MFL by actually just providing people more of what they're asking for. It's really just been one of the key problems with my whole operation is it is understaffed. And if uh, I'm going to be able to accomplish my three to five year goals and even just my 2019 goals. I'm going to need more people and I'm going to need more high caliber people. Um, so in the app, the revenue is insignificant. Um, it's right now it's a free download and it's like a $5 upgrade. Um, and again, I, I think it's actually better. Let's just make it a hundred percent free and let's, uh, because it can make money, obviously, in indirect ways by just bringing people into the funnel, and then they can go buy books and supplements and coaching and other things. But we also can add an in-app store where people minimally could buy uh, workout routines, for example. Mm -hmm. So the app is set up where you could build your own routine, or if you would like routines built by me, or I have quite a few other people that I've you know, have become friends or just associates, I guess, in the in the fitness space, who would love to put routines in the app because it, why not? They would get paid a royalty on downloads and it just promotes them and their brand and their stuff. So, um, that, that's, that's really interesting, Mike, to hear that 
the book side of things is actually the cash cow that helps investment into other areas of your business but the the big boy is a supplement company talk talk to me a bit about how that compares so you just spoke about you know the fantasy land <laughs> quite literally in terms of the the revenues that people can earn when they're writing fiction which makes sense most people read fiction not as many people read non-fiction and want to educate themselves but in the space of say fitness books or the supplement line where do you stack up in terms of rankings or revenue or volume um, being sold uh fitness books i'm almost certainly number one for talking just fitness in current average monthly sales you could say health no i mean you get into health now you're talking about there are big diet books big you know mainstream doctors and fake doctors you know like chiropractors um who have who have major major best-selling books you know multiple books that have sold multiple millions of copies so i'm a tadpole in in that pool i'm just a big fish in a in a small pool honestly because the fitness space as far as as far as writing goes there's not much money in fitness you have to be you have to be at the top to to make good money uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna write in the fitness space. Now that's not a reason to not write in it. I would say the only reason, the main reason to write, period, is not money because it is not easy money no matter how you want to slice it. Um, but the main reason to write in the fitness space is you have to really enjoy writing in the fitness space and you have to really enjoy writing, period. But um, if you do enjoy writing, like f- someone like me, I, I could go into other genres and do well, I do believe, because I'm a good researcher and I'm a good enough writer now to where I, I'm confident that I could write on anything and become at least moderately successful um, because I, I just know how the book game works and I know how the content game works. But... Um, you know, so if, if, if I were to survey it simply financially, I go, where are the biggest financial opportunities? Fitness, not so much. Um, again, fiction is absolutely number one. And then you even have get you get into certain genres of fiction or, or bigger opportunities than others. Uh, but in, in nonfiction, I mean, we could just we could just go up at one rung and go into the health, general health and just kind of general diet space. There's, there's more money there, obviously. And, um, I haven't really done an analysis because I'm all in on fitness regardless, but I'm sure, uh, there are 10 other genres. If someone were like, okay, I I can research, I can write, I'm interested in a lot of different things. Uh, here are five that I could go into. Um, there are quite a few that if we're talking about purely making money would be a better decision than fitness but you've got to have both the skill understand how how to publish and how to play the book game and yeah you've got to you've got to know you have have something interesting to say right if you don't like if you don't like writing don't write i've Mm. given that advice to many people who have seen you know that i've had a certain level of success as a writer and um, ask for some basic tips. And that's always one of them. Do not get into this. If your only motivation is to make money, I would say, do not get into anything. If your only motivation is to make money, because chances are you are not going to succeed at it. And if you do, 
because you can, I, you can absolutely, anybody can be successful at something that they're not passionate about. I don't believe that passion, maybe that makes it easier because it makes it, uh, a bit more palatable, uh, to put in all the time and work. But I also know people who actually kind of just enjoy grinding and working for its own sake and they don't really care so much what they're doing. And therefore, I, these people I know are very successful in some cases with businesses they're not very passionate about. There are things they like about their businesses, not the least of which the lifestyles that, it, you know, that the businesses provide. But, mm-hmm. you know, they like they like their teams, they like people, they like certain things. But when, when you really get down to it and you go, do you really give a shit about selling software that does, you know, blah, blah for some boring shit. And they go, no, absolutely not. Could care less. But, you know, they like other things uh, about building their business and they just like working. They like having a goal and they like just making progress toward it. So um, those types of people, if yeah, sure, you can jump into writing and make it work. But um it's it's just one of those things. I think probably because it's very creative in nature, it's very hard to produce really good stuff, which is what you need to be able to do if you're going to work in the arts uh, or if you're, even if you're going to be an entrepreneur. You have to, you know, if you're going to just have a business that sells knickknacks, then you at least need to be really good at building a business. If the knickknack isn't so much the thing, if it's more about having good marketing systems and customer experience systems and, you know, management systems and blah, blah, blah. Whereas on the, on the, if it's a more of a creative thing like writing, ultimately you have to be able to produce really good writing or you're just probably never going to experience, um, anything more than just mediocre success. And that is hard to do if you don't genuinely enjoy it. I think marketing is similar. It is very hard to be a good marketer if you are not genuinely interested in marketing. If you if you don't find yourself drawn to, to marketing books and podcasts and the the field of just persuasion and psychology, it is going to be hard to be really good at marketing. Now, it doesn't mean that you, you can't be good enough to, to do well enough. But, you know, my advice to somebody like that would be more find someone who's really into marketing and work with that person. And you, you focus on something else <laughs> because it's such a crucial element to being successful in any field, and any activity that, um, if you can't get into it yourself, if you just can't, which I highly recommend It's one of my other basic things that I tell people who reach out to me for any sort of advice on success is get really good at marketing and sales, make that a top priority because you can have the best product, you have the best information, best books, base, best service, whatever. If you are not a good marketer, it is going to fall flat, almost guaranteed, unless it's so innovative, unless you're, you just invented something, you just invented the iPhone, the next iPhone or whatever. Um, if what you have is, is just an improvement on what's out there, that is not enough to be successful. I agree. I think you said so many things there that resonate. You know, I too have been a grinder, enjoying work because I'm good at the job, not necessarily because what I'm doing fulfills some kind of mission or why. Um, and what writing is is such is such a ball ache for a lot of people that creative resistance that inertia to get things moving and then write in a way which people want to read it's 
it is an art for that very reason. But look, I, I don't want to make this too much on the books, but that was a really interesting insight. What about the supplement line? Where I know there's, the supplement line is massive in its own right. You know, you've got some big, big names that have been owning the space for years. Uh, and I suspect you're you're still kind of climbing up the ladder. But where do you guys sit? Maybe if you want to just take a look at the US, because I know that's where you mostly focus. Yeah, I mean, um, in the scheme of things, Legion is small, right? Uh, it's a, it's It'll do eight figures in sales this year. It's on the lower end of eight figures, though. We're not talking $50 million a year. And even at $50 million, that's where you're respectable. Like at $50 million, uh, let's say at 30 to $50 million, in in sales with a respectable EBITDA, you would have investors interested. You'd start having people reaching out and you know you could get a fair offer in terms of if you ever wanted to sell or sell a portion or whatever. But you start getting beneath that and unless you are extremely profitable, it's just kind of cute. Like, yeah, cool. You, you, it's a little, it's, a, it's making some cash. Good for you. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm fine with that. My, my goal with Legion was never to become the biggest supplement company. It will never be, at least as long as I'm still in charge, it will never be as big as Optimum Nutrition, for example, or you know some of these other multi, multi-hundred million dollar a year brands. And the reason why I say never is, well, under the current conditions, I'll say never, is I spend too much on most of my products. Most of them simply will not work in retail because the margins are not there. Mm -hmm. They are okay. They're in some cases, the margins are bad, even direct to consumer. Like my greens supplement costs me about $18 a bottle to produce. And I sell it for 40, I believe. Um, now if someone who, if someone is, um, financially illiterate like I was when I started <laughs> Legion, uh, they might go, oh, what do you mean? That's, that's, that's a lot of money. You're, like, you're doubling your money. No, it's really not. Not when you start backing out all the costs of what did it take to make that sale. You have the cost of not just the goods itself, but then you have uh, the marketing and the advertising, and then you have the uh, other points of the organization that are involved. And in the end, what it comes down to is, and I know this now, but I didn't know this starting out, like a standard kind of costing procedure is um, you, I would say probably five times, you want to be selling five times your 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 cost. That's, that's okay. That's, that's good. It's worth doing less than that. It gets a lot less interesting and you get above five times. It gets much more interesting. If you get up to 10 times, that's, that's like, that's a rock star product as far as profitability goes. Wow. And, and that's cool. And, and it works actually in, in many ways, like take, uh, you know, the, I'm wearing a pair of, uh, Lululemon workout shorts, right? I don't know what I paid for these, but uh, I know that it costs them probably one eighth to one tenth of what I paid to produce them. I still buy them though. I don't care. They're comfortable. Um, I like how they look. I like them. I'm not buying them because I think they're going to change my life or help me gain muscle or lose fat or doing it. <laughs> they're just, they're just shorts and they were on, uh, a, a rack. And I said, Hey, I like those. And I bought them. And that allows those, those margins, uh, allow, a company like Lululemon to do what it has done to expand the way it has expanded to put all the money they've put into their retail efforts, their advertising efforts, and so forth, and and also produce a healthy profit for 
the, um, I don't know if it's a public company or private, but for the shareholders either way. And that is vital information to, to know when you're starting a business. Now in supplements, like I said, you cannot uh, forget eight to 10 times. I mean, you, you can get there, but you're going to be, you have to have no integrity. Basically you cannot make anything worth buying, especially if we're talking about, um, formulations in the sports nutrition space with an eight to 10 times markup impossible. And I would say even a five times markup is you can't make a great product. You just can't, I cannot, I could not make, take that, take my green supplement. Let's say uh, I wanted to go with a five times and I go, okay, people are willing to pay $40. Maybe they're actually even willing to pay $50 for, for this type of product. So I'm going to spend up to $10. I could not make a green supplement that I would be personally excited about for $10 period. I just couldn't. Um, and there are probably some products of mine that I went a little bit over the top in terms of putting good stuff in there. And, and, and I could have shaved a dollar off here and there, different products and still had a really good product. But at this point, eh, I don't really want to do that. Um, I'm, my goal more is grow the revenue and let's see if I can get the profitability into an acceptable range. I, I don't think the Legion, I don't think Legion will ever have exceptional profitability, but let's see if I can get it into an exceptional or, uh, uh, an acceptable, decent range and, and go from there basically. But it's an, it's a lesson learned, um, a lesson that I will definitely, I mean, it's a stupid, it's, I'm, I was kind of surprised when it really, um, hit me as, as I've made more, just met more successful people, um, especially some private equity people who kind of really went through the numbers and went through the business with me. I'm surprised that I didn't inform myself properly in the beginning. Cause that's normally how I kind of go about things. I just didn't really see the, yeah, I didn't see that, that costing as something like, wait a minute, this is super important. And I really need to educate myself on this because, um, the entire livelihood of the business depends on its profitability that it's not profitability is not just about like buying Lambos and Rolexes. It's about being able to grow your business, especially when you're talking marketing and advertising, because those activities require a lot of, there's just a lot of iteration and you're going to end up doing a lot of things that don't work out things that you've done all your due diligence. They, they make perfect sense and you throw the money at it and it just flops. And that's, that's the, that's how it is. You know what I mean? You have to, I don't follow baseball at all. So I don't know what a good batting average is, but you know, you can't get into marketing expecting that you're going to have some superstar batting average. No. You, you gotta, you gotta get into it. You know, I would say probably, um, if, well, I don't know. I can't, I can't actually even quantify just off the top of my head, but you got to be willing to have a lot of flops to, to find successes. Maybe honestly, maybe it's one or two out of every 10 endeavors. Um, maybe not one, let's say two or three out of every 10 go so well that the others, which have either ranged have ranged from like not so good to just bad you make up for all of that and more with like a couple home runs basically. So you're that's placing, also you're placing bets, right, Mike, when, exactly. when it comes to marketing. And uh, I think what you guys are doing well is you've started with a really clear why, um, you know, the intent 
is probably going to limit you, as you've said, right? The the honesty, uh, the change in the marketplace. Um, hey, who knows what the mar- what the um, supplement marketplace will look like in ten years' time, where there are companies like yours challenging the you know either the bull- bullshit marketing or the piss poor um, quality of product. When you challenge that and you become the new standard in terms of quality and what people want to consume because they care for their bodies, not just in terms of losing weight and gaining muscle, but actually making sure they don't hurt themselves too. Who knows where the marketplace will go? Maybe, you know, 5x, 10x, um, you know, um, uplift on cost might not be achievable in five or 10 years time. But that being said, you know, your your intent is pure and, and your message is on point and i think you'll continue to see success with that but perhaps limited but you you talked a bit about marketing there and i'm actually curious as you think about um where you spend your marketing knowing that there's puts and takes some work some don't when you look at lead gen email podcast website amazon instagram other paid for advertising and endeavors give me and the listeners a sense of what ends up being the best converters or perhaps where you're spending most of your marketing money. Uh, Amazon is big. We got into Amazon early, um, and uh, gained traction early. So that's, that's been big for us. Um, all of the content marketing that I do is very big for Legion. Like for example, we have a post checkout survey that many customers fill out and about 30% of people, buy because they like me like that's it that's the reason they give i like i like mike um and and then the books are another sizable uh percentage as well and the podcast is is in there and uh and then and then there's some product related stuff like people really liking the formulations and the transparency and um the the science based you know clinically effect true clinically effective dosages so, so they're, so they're the, the reasons, Mike. But where, yeah, where, yeah. where, where are the where are the lead gen flows coming from? For example, do you have high conversions on on money spent on e- e- email pushes? Uh, does can you attribute yeah, yeah. a lot of email, co- uh, revenue from podcast, or would you yeah, say email, actually websites uh, the best? Email, email, uh, Amazon, Amazon is is a huge chunk of revenue, um, and but as far as we don't we don't really use our email list to to push sales to Amazon. We just do other stuff. We use email to push sales to our website because Amazon takes fifteen percent off the top. That's their cost. That's that's right. what you pay just for the privilege of selling, and when you already have high cogs like I do, that hurts. Uh, that already hurts. Period. But it, it hurts me a bit more than. Uh, many of my competitors. Uh, but yes, email, email is uh, a great source of revenue. That's a seven figure, uh, a year source of revenue. And, um, and like I said, then there's a lot of people that they hear about Legion, they either read about it in my books or they hear about it on, uh, my, my podcast, whether through the little advertisements that I have, or just, it comes up here and there just in the, in the course of discussion. And, um, my, my blogs are popular at both muscle for life and Legion. So together they're probably about 2 million right now visits a month. This is the worst time of the year. Uh, maybe, maybe even a little bit lower, honestly. Um, and then, but they, they, at their peak this year, it was about 
two and a half, uh, maybe a bit more than that, 2.6 million visits a month. Now, of course, conversion is low on blog traffic, but that's more about um, warming people up, getting them introduced to the brand, following them around on the on the internet with ads through through um, remarketing, capturing email addresses. And so there's a lot of stuff you can't track, obviously. So we're only going off of what we can track. But I would say the biggest advantage that Legion has on the marketing side of things is me, 100%, is the content machine. I mean, I'm going to sell close to 300,000 books this year, for example. And um, I, I really honestly lost out probably on 50,000 units because I had some inventory issues in summer, which is one of the best times of the year for fitness books. And I lost out on a lot of sales because of that. So it, it would have been probably closer to 350,000. But next year, we have a lot of cool stuff planned. And um, I, I think there's a fair chance we can sell somewhere close to a half a million books. And um, 70 to 80% of those sales are books that promote Legion. And I have even new rewritten from scratch third editions of my most popular books, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, coming out in the next month or so. All the work is, all my work is done. We're just now going through the uh, logistical rigoromole of uh, rigoromole. Yeah, that's how you say it, right? (laughs) (laughs) The the machinations, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm making a note. Uh, how, how do you pronounce that word exactly? But um, yeah, just, just going, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we both close need to enough. Google it. <laughs> close enough. Close enough. Just, just working through the checklist of getting all the files and all, all the annoying stuff that comes with uh, being being self-published. Um, but that has a tremendous effect on everything because one person reading a book is a lot actually is there's a lot more that happens there because what happens is that person inevitably oh i mean i i see it all the time in emails and social media messages and so forth not only do they come and find me and follow me and reach out but they almost always have told other people mm-hmm. about the book and about me and what i'm doing and in many cases gave you know if they're reading hard copies or you can actually gift a, a Kindle copies as well, like lend them to friends or whatever. Um, or they're passing the books along to others. And I mean, I have people that, uh, who have been in touch with for years now who still buy my books as gifts. They've been doing it for years and they just, they give, you know, bigger than you're stronger. For example, I can think of a few guys who I know that's what they do when they're in the gym. People see that they're in great shape. They're strong, whatever, come up and ask, uh, and either, you know, they, they then tell them, Oh, you got to buy this book. And then if it's a friend or a family member or whatever, someone that they know well enough to want to spend some money on them, they just buy them copies. So, um, the ripple effects on the books is, uh, we have been able to quantify it to some degree, but it is helping us a lot more than, you know, just those post checkout surveys would have you believe. And that's one of the reasons why I myself, am so interested in continuing on the, on the publishing, um, or continue, continue building the publishing business and continue to build my body of, you know, published works. Uh, you know, I enjoy it. That's cool. Uh, that, that's definitely a, a bonus, but, and, 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 you know, it makes good money, but 
it also is, it really creates a rising tide effect. I think it really is one of the highest and best uses of my time um, for everything that I'm doing. Think about my experience alone. I mean, I know we, we've known each other for a year or so. My interaction with you first started with your books. And since then, I'm a fanboy. I've consumed pretty much everything that you've sold uh, loyally, wanting to both support you and learn from what you've done. And I think you have that effect on many, Mike. And it starts with honesty, you know, a and just a really credible message. You get a sense of no BS. And clearly what I'm hearing from this, which is really encouraging, is that there's a, you know, whether it be organically or purposely, you've got a highly integrated sales and marketing machine where everything is kind of working off each other. And maybe that's why it's difficult to be able to tag you know, email was X percent of revenue, podcast as Y, books as Z, and so forth, just because they're all kind of working off each other to create that warm, fuzzy, enjoyable feeling of consuming your content and buying your products. Um, but it's not a perfect answer for, you know, business guys who really want the detail. But for, you know, budding entrepreneurs in this kind of space, you know, trying to build an online business, you need to be multi-pronged in your attempt to engage and have a relationship with your customers. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, starting, I would say, make sure you have something that, that you can be outstanding at. Ideally. I mean, if you're going to go by good to great, their whole hedgehog concept, something that you can be the best in the world at. And for me, I've really honed in on creating content. Um, I, obviously my focus has been, written. And I would say, yeah, that, that probably, that I would, I would probably take the, the spoken and the video, the other forms of content, I would say come secondary to that because, um, I take the podcast, for example, my podcast is, is popular. Um, you know, it ranges from three to 500,000 plays a month, depending on the time of the year. At least that that's been the, the 2018, um, that's how it's been this year. But in the scheme of podcasts, that's, 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 that's not that exciting, uh, in, in terms of fitness, that's pretty good. But if I really wanted to take the podcast to the next level, it would, it, it would probably turn into almost, a a full-time thing. Mm. And so I continue to do it. I'm happy to do it and I'm happy to continue growing it. But I, I, I don't want to try to spread my, spread myself too thin where then everything just gets kind of mediocre. So, um, my number one focus is producing outstanding books and outstanding articles. And then from there, I would say the podcast is probably number two in terms of like, what do I want to, I have some plans for that next year as well. How do I really take that to the next level? And we'll see where things go with YouTube. Um, it's YouTube is a bit of an afterthought right now. I I'm, I'm mildly active on it. Um, but not focusing on it again, because you're only one good, guy, right? I know yeah, you've got doing, 20 people, I, I but could, if you're the front man being the front man on I all of these me. things, it's, that's difficult. Yeah. There's a bit that could be delegated on it. Honestly, uh, if you look at what some, some, look at, um, some of the stuff that Jeff Nippard, for example, does, right. So it's, it's him reading, um, an article essentially that he's written on something and, and then it's just edited, uh, a bunch of footage is edited in workout footage and, you know, s pictures of studies and, um, 
other things relevant to whatever he's talking about. And theoretically, I could take, let's say, the audio that I'm already doing for a podcast and then have someone else be in charge of um, turning that into something similar. So, So there are some ways that you can, you know, again, it starts with building what's the system. That's the first thing. What's the system? And then and this is this is how I'm how I look at even my involvement of things. What's the system? How much of my involvement does it require? How much time? And uh, and then I have to weigh that because there is an opportunity cost. And so you know I'm a very regimented person. I have to be with my own personal schedule, and I you know have my weeks planned out in. There I have templates basically that I, I, I have four to week one, two, three, four of each month. And I'm working on different things and different times on different days. And, um, of course, sometimes things go awry and things shift around. That's just life. But I have my most important stuff explicitly scheduled. So I know that these are the things I have to get done this week. Uh, and it really is going to require like a true emergency to pull me away from these things. And on Monday, week two at this time, I can tell you with uh, pretty high probability, this is the kind of thing I'll be working on at that time. And so when I'm looking at, okay, so that's, that's what I've got. I have some open time slots for that's if I have random things, I throw them into those open time slots. Um, or sometimes if I'm doing something like this where I'd normally be working on something else, then this is going to get shifted to a, you know, a later, uh, I, I, I can move, I can move the time blocks around, but, um, that has helped me avoid kind of half-assed commitments where I get in. Cause I've, I've made that mistake where I start doing something, but I don't really anticipate, I don't really start with looking what's the system, what are we going for? How much time is this going to require? And then, um, the, the end result is something mediocre. And uh, I don't, I don't think it's worth, especially on the marketing side of things, doing something, if it's only going to be mediocre that time, let's say you had like, let's say you're doing five different types of marketing and they're all like kind of, uh, okay. Um, I think it'd be smarter to pick the one that is that you can be the best at and just delete the other four, put all your time into that one and, uh, become the best at that first. And, and then at, once you have that really built out, see what you can delegate, see how you can extricate yourself without ruining the quality. And then, okay, now you have more time on your hands and, and take one other thing or maybe to, you know what I mean? And, and just go about it that way, as opposed to trying to do everything. I think, you there, could, I think you there can, are so many things you can do now. I think you could um, equally replace the word marketing and just talk about content in what is a content-driven era of business today, right? If you're not producing content, um, not just sales pitches, but actual content, I don't think you've really got a place in modern business uh, as new upstart start. It's all it about engagement, right? It depends. You know, uh, I would I would say no. Actually, I would disagree because I, I have friends who um, have multi-million dollar eight figure a year businesses who produce no content really who are just good marketers uh in one case a very good amazon marketer zero content just a good amazon marketer um and yeah he's uh he's he's doing outstanding i mean and he's he's like 25 and he's made enough money um to really be done but he's just you know he has bigger plans so he keeps going but um 
Anyways, that's fair enough. If, no, that, that, if, that's it, fair like, enough. Take, take influencer <laughs> marketing, right? It, uh, you can do, I have a friend who uh, has um, an eight-figure-a-year brand. Uh, basically, all of the revenue comes from influencer marketing, and that's what they're very good at. They produce, I mean, the content they produce are the captions for the Instagram posts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Otherwise, there, there are, there's no content. So, wow. uh, and there are quite a few examples of that. I mean, a lot of businesses that just sell something cool and they're slick marketers. Um, content marketing is just one way. It, it has it has major benefits, yes. But as far as making money goes, uh, it, it really depends on what you're trying to sell. It's not always the best strategy, you know. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Like take, 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 take watches, take that company MVMT, right? Yeah. Um, movement. Huge, multiple, I think, um, I mean, shit, I don't know. They're probably 50 plus million dollars a year, maybe even a hundred plus at this point in sales. I don't think content marketing is going to help you sell watches nearly as much as influencer marketing will, for example. And that's actually what exploded them is influencer marketing, um, where, it's going to be, I mean, you could make it work to some degree, of course. I mean, it'd probably have to be the angle of like men's style. I think they're only men's watches. So it'd have to be more about style. I highly doubt some dude buying a hundred or $200 watch could care about, he's never going to go searching for like weird technical watch related things on how a watch works or the history of watches or shit. He could care less. He probably just wants to look stylish, look good. Um, whatever, right? So you, you probably could spin it that way. So it's almost like a GQ Esquire kind of spin. Uh, but much smarter is what they did is influencer marketing. They hit it hard and they hit it early on fast. And then they leveraged, they went from that into traditional advertising. And, um, I don't even know if they do any content marketing. I want to uh, switch gears just a little, cause I know we're running out of time, Mike. Um, you've spoken a couple of times about both your time and delegation and that the team probably needs to be bigger to achieve the goals that you have planned for the business. Talk to me about making your first hire because that must be so difficult, especially if you're an organized person and you have a high quality standard and you've got aspirations that are beyond your capacity what drove your first decision, your first hiring decision? Um, what was that process like? Did you feel comfortable delegating? Was you comfortable finding people in the first place, and perhaps holding this all together? Could you could you actually fund the hire, or did you hope that with the hire they could fund themselves? I'm just really curious as to that kind of growth, that going from one person to two per people, because that seems to be the hardest move for these kind of self-star entrepreneurs hmm. well i uh, made a mistake what turned out to be a mistake i i hired a friend who i believed in who did a good job in the beginning but then failed to he, he just failed it, it, over time he didn't really want to work anymore and whatever so um but i've learned lessons on hiring and i think one of the biggest lessons is read the book e-myth and you want to build a business that relies on extraordinary systems run by ordinary people, not extraordinary people. And advice. so that that really takes a lot of the headache out of hiring and out of personnel in general. Um, so because 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 when you 
And when you make that an ongoing thing, which is this is something that I and my executive team of people are very much going to be focusing on in 2019 is getting very, very, um, well, just building out our organizational systems more and more and really, really codifying what people are doing that works, what doesn't work and putting together training packs, you could say. Um, so then you have people that it inevitably they just do their jobs better. Even the fact that they have to reflect on what they're doing and how's it going and have that be a regular process. Um, and, and, and then the job gets refined and, if you don't write stuff down, inevitably you'll forget things. You'll you, you'll realize something at one point along the way, and then um, a year later you you'll have completely forgot it and maybe reverted back to doing what you're doing before you realized that you should be doing that a different way. Especially if the job is fairly complex and has a lot of moving parts. So going back now, um, I would have well one I would say. Um, we do, we do a bit of testing now. We do IQ testing. We do personality testing. Um, cause I would say the process, I look at it in terms of the first step on the hire is weeding out crazy people, people who are lazy, people who are just problems. Um, because I'm not here to try to fix people. I've played that game before in the past and it doesn't go well. Um, I found that most people don't change. And if they do, it takes a very long time and a tremendous amount of work and effort. And, uh, if I were a therapist, then I would make sense. That'd be my job. Right. But so initially I'm trying to weed out the people who are really just going to be problems. And, um, there's a lot of good information out there on doing that. Uh, you don't, uh, you don't have to try to reinvent the wheel there. And then once you've weeded out those people and you have people who are essentially employable, um, through job skill tests and through a, a more, a, a series of, of interviews and tests and things to then see, okay, who can do this job? And then having uh, an actual mm, organized, laid out in writing job for them to do, not just throwing them into something and saying, okay, here's basically what we're going for here. You figure it out. Um, I wish that there were lots of people out there that could do well with that type of assignment but there are not. And I've learned that the hard way. And that's not even an indictment of people. It's, it just is what it is. I, um, and so I've made a mistake uh, just as an executive of not putting enough of, well, I mean, there's only, I guess there's only, I can only put so much time, but at least not, uh, making that a higher priority. It probably could have been really, um, we could have put more time into that a bit earlier than, than we did, but that's okay because we're in a good position now where, where we can really, um, solidify the business, uh, in that way. So that's also a thing is if I were starting a new business, let's say I was starting from scratch that first hire, again, I would do a better job screening, uh, to see, is this going to be someone who I'm really going to be able to rely on? Um, and then really being, uh, really taking my time to lay out specifically, this is what this job is. Here's the, here's the goal of this job. Here's the purpose of this job. Here are the basic, like 
do's and don'ts of this job. Here's the here's the thing that just that this job comes down to. This is what makes this job. This is what you produce. This is the widget, even if it's abstract, right? Um, here are the KPIs. Here's how we track the performance of this job, and uh, again, make make it as um, occupiable as possible, as opposed to just again throwing somebody into something, uh, even if it seems obvious, like. Okay, so social media manager, for example, it's pretty straightforward what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to grow the following, you're supposed to engage with people, and you're supposed to make money. You can figure out the rest. No, that does not work. Um, you have to have somebody who has taken that <clears throat> and um, broken it down into all of its little bit bits and pieces, all of its steps, and hung all of those things on a framework that makes sense to just a normal person who um, is you know smart enough and willing to work hard, but not necessarily someone who could start their own business, for example, and just jump in and figure everything out. So that's a, a lesson I've learned on the hiring front. Uh, there's some someone said something to me which sounds quite similar. They they acknowledge, and I think this is really fair. You know, we as individuals. If you're fair with yourself, you acknowledge that failure is learning. And if you mature about, you know, the process of success, you accept failure as part of the pursuit. And you 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 try and you fail quick, you fail early, you understand what you've 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 made a mistake on and you iterate, you improve. Um but when it comes to employer employees, perhaps there's a little less uh forgiving and more judgment of you're just not doing the job right <laughs> why are you not doing the job the way i asked you well the first question is were you explicit in your standard the style the theme the frequency you know do they are they in your head they're not so how can you help individuals get into your head when this is your baby and i'm sure that must have been really hard in the first one or two hires is having a standard and having someone else fulfill that standard or not and not going, oh, do you know what? They're only le they're learning, just like I am. They're failing and learning, and they'll get better in time. You haven't got time for people to make so many mistakes on your money. Um, do you want to talk to that at all? Did you do you get any experience? Did you have any experiences of people just not fulfilling your standard, and perhaps getting frustrated with that, wrongly or rightly? Um, in the beginning, no, I'd say. Uh the first hire, he worked hard in the beginning, um, and he was on the same wavelength as me in terms of what we were trying to do and the standard of the quality of the work. Um, and so, so that worked out well. And the, the next few hires worked out well too. And, uh, in a few cases, they're still with me today. Now, what, five years, four years later and in executive positions doing well. And, um, so, Again, that that came down though mostly to character and hiring for people who were smart, who were honest, who were hardworking, and who really liked to figure things out, who could just be thrown into something. And um, so, in the beginning, that's what I needed because I didn't it, I didn't have the time to figure out each job myself and then codify it and then turn it over to somebody. I needed people who could just jump in and do that process. Mm -hmm. Uh, so again, that, that comes down to, to hiring. I mean, they're just, they're just higher caliber people. Um, but now 
you know, again, I would say I, I could have started sooner, probably, uh, looking more at building systems as opposed to finding extraordinary people. And I know that even though I, I don't have uh, necessarily ambitions to have companies with hundreds of employees, unless it's necessary, but I think with what I currently want to do, it's not necessary. Um, we are at a point where it is, is it, we, we really do need to be focusing on the systems because now the businesses are just more complex. Uh, they were also simpler businesses and now they are not uh, as nearly as simple as they once were. And where we want to take them only means more complexity. So um, there's also a lot of peace of mind that comes to being very organized, I think, just as an individual. And that applies in, in work as well. When you know exactly when you have all of your checklists, you know exactly what you're doing every day and why and how it plays into the to the to the next quarter plan and how that plays into the yearly plan and how that plays into the three to five year plan and how that plays into maybe the big, hairy, audacious, you know, as they call it, whatever, 10 plus year plan, um, to have that kind of clarity is, is great for motivation and, um, and I, it, it, I don't know, it allows, it just makes it easier to really focus in on your work and, and know that what you're doing is what you should be doing because at any given moment you could be doing literally an infinite number of other things. And I think for me, a part of, um, what has been helpful to me is being able to say, no, what I'm doing right now is the best thing that I know of that I can do. Like I've really thought about this. I've studied, I've laid out plans and, um, this is the best I've got. Like there's a, there's a peace of mind that comes with that as opposed to not having the planning and not having everything really laid out and just doing things. Cause it seems like it's it a thing right. to do. Yeah. yeah. Or it feels right. That's even worse. Um, <laughs> And feelings, I, I have. It's just, I say it often that I think people should have a high level of distrust of of just feelings, because um, there are feelings, there are intuitions that we have that are positive for sure, and all of us have experienced that before, where we just had a gut feeling about something and it it worked out. But then there are a lot of urges and into in feelings and compulsions that we have that if pursued, will simply destroy us. And it will feel right while we're doing it. Something in us will say, yes, this is right. Yes, you should do more of this. Yes, you know, use the drugs. Yes, play the video games. Uh, yes, sit on Instagram all day. A part of us will feel good about it. But objectively speaking, um, we'll just go down the tubes. So I, uh, I don't completely discount feelings and intuition, but I... I, I temper them with analysis and, you know, forward thinking and, um, and planning. I mean, I even do it in my personal life as well. Like I, I like to know I spend time, I'm learning German. Why? Like why, 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 why spend my time learning German? Well, I've worked out for myself. Why? Um, I wake up every day before I go to the gym and I go sit in my infrared sauna and I read for 45 to 60 minutes. And I read a bit at night too. Why? Like, what am I going for there? What are, what are the benefits? Um, anyways, yeah. that's, that's just, that's just a, uh, a kind of operating procedure that has worked well for me, even, even working out. Like why, 
why do I do that? Well, I could, I could pull up my Google Doc that has it all laid out as to this is how this fits in to, uh, you know, my, my plan for, for improving my physical health and why does that matter? And on the side, on the, when it comes to studying and learning another language that relates to mental health, um, and why does that matter? And so anyway, these are, these are things that I've learned through business and then, and then kind of just been like, why don't I just do this with my personal life too? Um, and it has been very helpful actually. We've, uh, oh, and any of your kind of diehard listeners, will get the sense that you're a planner. <laughs> you're definitely a logic-driven individual and no one can knock that because that's taking you to the place you are today. Uh, and I think we could all learn from you know, respecting and, and listening to our feelings, but at the same time being able to back them up and, and justify them as you well, do. What are, the, what are the results? I mean, that's, that's I, I live by those standards myself. What are the results? If, if following your feelings generally get, gets you positive results, gets you more construction than destruction, gets you more help than harm in the various areas of your life that you're engaged in. Great. I'm jealous. Like, <laughs> I guess just, just keep going with your gut. It does work but for some I, people, right? I don't know. I haven't. Maybe. I, I, yeah. No, I mean, I haven't met, uh, I, no one, no one jumps to mind. Like I, I've met a lot of people who are much more, who approach things much more in the way that I just described. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, who again, don't, don't discount intuition and don't discount feelings. And sometimes hard decisions do come down to like, they've really looked at it as objectively as possible, but in the end, there's just, a, there's always that subjective, okay, I, this is what I think. So I'm going this way that I understand, but I can't think of anybody immediately whose life I would want at least who doesn't have a, a much higher level of, um, again, it comes down to kind of forward thinking, coming up with, um, really putting a future there. Where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Why do I spend my time every day doing what I do? And what am I trying to produce in the next year, five years, 10 years or whatever? Um, I know a lot more people that think like that to one degree or another who are, whose lives I, I would say, yeah, I would, I would, I would trade with you. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, man. I'm, but, I'm, you're, you're preaching to the choir. You know, you look at Ray Dalio, you look at, you know, Tony Robbins, you look at many of the business leaders across some of the products that are ingrained in our lives today. Some of them do come across creative, do come across like they have a intuition or a gut feel, but they first got the facts, right? Understand the facts. We've oh, the yeah. data. I mean, look now, at you, now you can just follow your principles. Talk about Dalio. Just read principles. Fantastic book. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but the dude is. <laughs> I mean, he's he is analytical on another level. I mean, what what the systems that he built in his business? Insane. Yeah, only. Yeah, exactly. Only a certain type of person ever goes that far, or even what he did after he lost everything eight years into his uh, into into his business. His first, well, I guess it still is, it still was Bridgewater, but um, and the level of analysis that he that he did of the markets and of what went wrong, um, you know, because he. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I would say that he's, he's, he's I, incredible, he, but there is a level of gut feel. But as he describes in his book, only once you've got the data and you've tried to systematize and look backwards and predict the future and, and yeah, it's systems. And I think you, you're, you're clearly taking that lesson to heart. 
Listen, Mike, I, we've been talking for quite a long time, longer than we expected. I, I did want to close on a, on a feeling question, actually, um, sure. which is... But just to that point, uh, I do agree, actually, that uh, I, I'm more inclined to trust even my own feelings in areas where I know that I'm uh, well-educated and I, and I do have a bit of experience under my belt, especially if I've had a few wins under my belt. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so I, 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 can, I can think with that. It's certainly like in the field of marketing where I can look at certain things and be like – That's going to work. Mm, yeah, exactly. Or just, nope, this is – and you know, let, me, let me now look at it uh, and tell you why it's not going to work, but – my first thought is nope, but I've been wrong on that too. Absolutely wrong. Take the company ghost, the supplement company ghost. When I first saw that, I was like, that's going to fail. What kind of crap is that? It's terrible. Uh, they're trying to do kind of a, a lifestyle YouTube nation approach to, to supplements, just make slick packaging. Don't who cares about the products themselves and just hire some popular YouTube people to shill them. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, no way. Like, sure, they'll make some sales, but no way. Yeah, I, th I think Ghost is going to do over 50 million in sales this year. So, you know, I, and I, that's, I have a lot of experience with marketing now. I've written a lot of copy. I've sold a lot of stuff. I've sold a lot of different things. And my absolute intuition when I saw that was like, that's trash. There's who, who's going to buy that crap? The weird Pac-Man type, you know, that's what it reminds me. <laughs> I've, I've seen them. I was yeah. absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. They, uh, they make, you know, they make my business look like a joke. Um, so there you go. What people need isn't necessarily what they want. Right. And, um, that's a hard, that's a hard dilemma to face in business, right? Are you going to sell them what they want? Or are you going to sell them what they need? And usually if you sell them what they need, it's a slower business. And, um, but I think it's a more sustainable longer term business and you'll be able to sleep at night knowing you're doing the right thing, man. So to the feeling question, um, and I don't know whether you, you've got something that just stands out in your mind as, yep, I know the moment. But I'm guessing you've had a lot of memorable milestones in the build-up to the end of 2018, where we are today, and the lines of business that you have. Do you have the one big moment, the moment of celebration or a moment of realization? Because... I, for one, just some context, you know, I've, I've had a very successful career in IT, uh, pivoting now in towards health and fitness. But I, I spent less and less time as I got more and more successful ringing the bell. And it's a little frustrating because I should have slowed down and really appreciated those big milestone victories that I had along the way. But have you reflected yourself and gone, do you know what, in this uh, six, eight-year run of things, six-year run of things, my biggest celebration, personal joy happened when? Hmm. I mean, I'm the same way in that I, I probably don't do enough of uh, congratulating myself or anyone, really. Um, I, I definitely congratulate others more than I congratulate myself because I, I'm actually not that interested in what I've done. I'm more interested in like what I'm mm -hmm. doing and what I want to do. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I would say... When I broke a million books sold, that was pretty cool um, just because my first passion has always been writing. And, and I just – I like books. I mean before I went into this, I was going to do – I was going to do a publishing company um, and I was going to publish my stuff and other people's stuff. I didn't 
necessarily even want to go all in and become a fitness guy, so to speak. Uh, I wanted to publish books just because I've always enjoyed books. I've always enjoyed reading. There's just something about books that I'm drawn to. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I would say book sales have always been number one for me, just in terms of personal satisfaction. I'm not a very money motivated person. To me, money is more of a means than an end. Um, and I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a, a showy, flashy person. Uh, I don't, I'm not that much into things. So, um, maybe the, you know, when you opened up some champagne or you went out for a celebratory meal and you know what, you know, you and the missus or the kids or your, your, your business partner, this was a moment to stop and reflect on what you've just done. Would you say it's the the, mil, the million books sold, or uh, I'd say for me personal, for me personally, although no alcohol because I don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me personally, there was there was the first was probably at the end of 2012 when Bigger, Leaner, Stronger was selling several thousand copies uh, a month, and that's where I really saw an opportunity. I was like, oh wow, people actually like what I have to say. I should do more of this. So that was big, and then the million books sold is just cool because it's just cool. It's a it's just a cool thing, um, and and on on Legion. Um, breaking, breaking 10 million in, in, in annual sales, um, was, was bad. a big thing. Yeah. Just, just from the financial standpoint again, cause it just feels like a milestone, I guess. And, um, but you know, honestly, what I'd say is most fulfilling about the work that I'm doing outside of, um, the writing stuff is very personally fulfilling to me just because I, again, I enjoy it and it, and it really does mean something to me personally. Um, millions in sales doesn't really mean anything to me personally. It just sounds kind of cool, but it's more all the people that I have met and that I in, in touch with who just reach out to tell me how I've helped. And yeah, that sounds like, Oh, it's something that you're supposed to say or sounds cliche, but it's really true. Actually, that's the most rewarding thing because, because of what you can do, because it's it, getting some, helping someone get in shape is not just like, Oh, thanks dude. My biceps are bigger because of you. Um, in many cases it's really changing people's lives. And so it's touching and you, you don't get that feeling from, uh, seeing, you know, a big wire transfer into your bank account. Like you get a feeling, but it's just not the same. It's, it's a hollow kind of like you know, thrill. I, I think they actually have done some research and they like, they liken it to like the same type of effect, just, uh, uh, not as, not as extreme as like cocaine basically. And so you get a little bit of a thrill. Ooh, that's cool. But then it's gone in five minutes and you're in your life. Nothing is different in your life. Yeah. Whereas there's something a lot more, um, visceral and lasting about hearing from someone who just says, you've really changed my life in all these great ways. And to think that, you know, I'd, I did that just writing a book. That's, that's cool to me or even writing an article. You know what I mean? Where, um, you can't, you can't do that by just selling a, 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 a gadget. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, and I think that clearly talks to your why and I, it must be pinch, pitch yourself moments because that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing, Mike. I, I want to pay it forward. I want to make an impact and you know it could be impact on a personal level for one person in the world or it could be actually I want to I want to make a bit of a step change in how we run our lives operate um and if if you have a scaled objective which you clearly have knowing that you're impacting so many lives that I'm, I can only imagine that must be so so fulfilling 
Um, so that was a fantastic answer to the question. <laughs> I hadn't anticipated that, but that makes perfect sense. Listen, Mike, I really appreciate your time. As we close on this discussion, and maybe to give someone, give the listeners something to think about, do you think there is, an, there is space in this industry for another Mike Matthews, another Muscle for Life, or another Legion? Yes, always. 100%. When I when I came in with Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, it, that was the, the right book at the right time. It was an opportunity that I saw. It was a gap in the marketplace. There are many gaps existing right now. There are many people who come in and try to just do knockoff Me Too books mm -hmm. and they don't go anywhere. That's just bad marketing. But there are gaps right now, opportunities right now. I don't know. And I'm not saying I even know them, but I guarantee you there is another book that could be written right now that it could be very different to bigger, leaner, stronger. It could be something else targeting a different market or it could be totally different. I don't know. It could be related to some different topic, um, still in the kind of in the wheelhouse of health and fitness, but just different, you know, uh, bigger, leaner, stronger is it's very specific in terms of who it's for and what it promises and what it delivers. Uh, and, but my point is there is, there are other opportunities right now to do the exact same thing. And there are always going to be uh, those opportunities to do things better. And yes, it you want to go for that tipping point product for sure. Like you need to have that to do very well. Um, but if you can get that, then it's very easy to just make incremental improvements on other things and kind of bring those uh, into the fold. Uh, but, you know, what I've seen is if you don't, you have a lot of people that they just try to do incremental improvements on things without any, any real breakthrough. Mm. And, uh, that's where you can get stuck in where you just feel like you're kind of treading water. Um, especially if what they think is an incremental improvement is really not, and it's just really not better. Um, so I would say to anybody wanting to get into the space, if you want to do, if you want to play the content game, the book writing game, podcasting, article writing, YouTube or whatever, before you, before you jump in, I would say really, really come up with not just one idea, but several ideas, um, based on actual analysis of where do you see some gaps? Where do you see that people are really yearning for, for a certain type of information or presented in a certain type of way? Like for example, the, uh, these Instagram infographics that are popular, um, at one time, just a couple of years ago, no one was doing those. And there was a dude named Jordan Syatt, I believe, who I've spoken to, nice guy. He was like one of the first people to do those. And it blew his Instagram up. Just that. That was a tipping point idea. That was a thing where he was like, wait, people like infographics, hmm. but no one's like just condensing these things and just putting them up on Instagram. Why don't I just do that? He's like, that seems like a pretty good idea. And he's looking around like, yeah, no one's doing that, huh? He starts doing that, explodes. I mean, he is following in in some, I don't remember, ridiculous short period of time. He goes from like 10,000 followers to 200,000 followers. And now everyone is doing it. Um, and that's that's a, a home run grand slam example of this. But that's what I'd be looking for, at least some degree of that. If I were wanting to to get into the space, and I'd come up with again several ideas. I wouldn't assume that my first one is going to work necessarily, but several ideas. What's something different um, and something that's really needed and wanted that I can do, as opposed to just going, 
oh, well, I'll just start another blog and talk about building biceps because that is, is gonna, it's, it's, it's going to be very hard to, to stand out. Um, if you are just another guy talking about building biceps or another girl just talking about building your butt or something like that. Um, and you know, in some cases it's a guy like, especially in social media, it could be the guy or the girl's physique. If they just look outstanding, okay, that always works, but that's a very small percentage of people that look good enough to be able to, you know, build a brand based on just how good they look. Um, and anyway, so I could go on and on about that, but that, that's, that's something that, um, you know, I, in the future, as I get into other things and other games will be definitely, that will be top of mind is not just assume that I can jump in and just like, Oh, everyone's doing this. I'll just do that too. No, no, slow down, really, really do a deep dive and come up with some ideas where you go, I think this is missing. Like I can put something here that is different enough that people will recognize that and be like, Oh wait, that's cool. That, that is not the same as everything else. You know what I mean? Oh, totally totally i think there is so much me too in the fitness space mostly driven through you know personal trainers that want to put their business online and in doing so you know they 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 look at some of the top 10 uh, influences in their space and they try and do something similar the problem is if it's not uniquely different with a different voice or offering information that was absent before or just more raw or more honest more relatable you end up just being more noise in an ever-cluttered space. And you look at some people now who are blowing up, like Jay Shetty, for example, who's more around around the mindset, more around kind of memes and videos for engaging positivity. His, his Instagram has just blown up over the last year or so. I don't know how long he's been going for, but he has literally gone. It's a guy called Jay Shetty. Uh, I I just just Googled him. I'll pull him up and check it out. Yeah, I think he's uh, of Asian descent, uh, but he's over in the uh, States at the moment. And he's just going crazy, but he's authentic. He looks a little bit different. His message is wholesome. There's a clear enough why and purpose. And yeah, they spent a bit of money to finesse the style of his content. But, you know, it's really encouraging to hear that you say <laughs> there is enough space because whilst I don't want to compete with what you do, Mike, um, I, I, I intend to stand on the, the shoulders of giants and find opportunities to do things similar but different with some added value. And I think that's really what innovation is, right? It's unlikely uh, that the majority of entrepreneurs are going to create something life-changingly different in a moment, in a heartbeat, but they could do in 10 years' time. Absolutely. It's not going to. Yeah, I just, I just, yeah, 100%. There's, that's also a thing is not expecting overnight success. Yeah, I just pulled this guy up and I I haven't seen his stuff, but immediately you can just see he's a good looking guy. Um, He has charm, he has charisma, he's probably well spoken. Um, Just immediately looking at his stuff, I'm not surprised that he's doing well. Yeah. Listen, man, thank you so much for your time. This half an hour conversation. Is probably the longest half an hour conversation I've had. <laughs> but it, it, um, thank you for putting the time in. I know you're extremely busy and um, it's been hugely insightful for me, hopefully for the people listening from both sides of our audiences. So Mike, um, we've, we've plugged your business quite enough, but do you just want to close with saying where people are best placed to find your products and services? Yeah, I would say just muscleforlife.com, um, forlife.com. That's that's really the central hub where you can find everything. Excellent. Good stuff. And I'll put in the show notes some other bits and pieces. So uh, if they're curious, they can find that for stuff. 
Mike, thank you. An absolute pleasure. Enjoy 2019 and all the success to you. Take care, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.